In today's episode, I had the great pleasure of interviewing accredited sports dietitian Simone Austin, who has had a highly successful career working with elite athletes from Cricket Australia, Western Bulldogs, Melbourne Storm, Melbourne Rebels, and for over a decade with the Hawthorne Football Club. Simone is also a health advocate and writer for Swiss Wellness, media spokesperson for the Dietitians Association of Australia, and president of the Sports Dietetics Association, as well as being the author of a new book, Eat Like an Athlete. In this interview, I asked Simone about what it is really like to work with elite athletes. She told us about her career to date, the difference between being a dietitian and a nutritionist, and her advice for others keen to pursue a career as a sports dietitian. I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Relaunch Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Leah Lambert, career and interview coach and founder of Relaunch Me, where we help you find the work that you were meant to do. Hi, Simone. Thank you for joining me this morning. I'm very excited to have you on the Relaunch Your Career podcast. We have known each other for, I think, about 15 years. Yeah. yeah, a long time later, yeah. a long time. And uh, look, I've, I know a fair bit about your career, but I've probably wanted to interview you for a long time to get some great information for my clients and for my listeners. So I would love to uh, start off by just hearing a little bit about your career. I know that you finished your study sort of in the 90s and you did a bachelor and then a master in dietetics. So I did a, I did a um, bachelor of science and then a master's in nutrition and dietetics, but then your sports part is just um, an, a small extra course at the AS. So it's a sports nutrition course, which is held in different parts of Australia now, but it's you don't do a... Um, a master's in sports dietetics. You can do sports nutrition, but it's after you've finished your master's in nutrition and dietetics. And so did you work in sport right from the beginning or did you work in hospitals or have a a, a pathway into sport? Absolutely. So when I was in my final year of dietetics, we had a week placement where we could choose where we wanted to do it because there's not much sports nutrition, if at any, um, in a lot of the courses. So i picked out a sports dietitian, Karen Inch, and she was the first dietitian at Hawthorne. And I did a week's placement with her. Um, And then I knew sport was going to be where I wanted to do some of my work. And then I started uh, doing some work with her when I finished at uni. And then she recommended me to apply for my first sports job, which was at the Western Bulldog. And so were you an athlete as well in like you know in terms of getting that interest in sport had you done a lot of sport yourself I don't know that I call myself quite an athlete but yes I was um I played water polo when I was at um high school which you know I'm only small so I'm only 156 centimeters tall so in the water that doesn't matter too much um always loved netball and I did many triathlons when I was at high school and uni so I always loved sport so that was when you chose dietetics as a career, is that where you saw yourself working from day one? Um, well, when I was in year 10 at high school, I did a placement for dietetics because I knew I wanted to be a dietitian and I did it at hospital. And I think I knew I didn't want to work in a hospital, but I was pretty keen on public health and community health, but sport as well. So I had an option 
and an inkling that I wanted to do both. And as we talk about my career, I did do both. I know you have worked for a lot of sport teams. When I read through them on LinkedIn, it almost makes me like go into a panic thinking how do you... (laughs) How do you manage all of those roles? Because a lot of them you've done simultaneously. Is that right? Yes. So um, when I first did, it was at the Bulldogs, that was my um, only football team. And that was part-time while I was working in community health. But then some years later, I was at the Australian cricket team for about seven years. Um, and at the same time, I was doing under-18 AFL. But then after that, when I started at Hawthorne, um, which is 12, 13 years ago, I then things came my way and people would recommend because sports are pretty small industry. So one year I was part-time at Hawthorne AFL, but I was also at Melbourne City Soccer. I was at the Rebels Rugby Union and Melbourne Storm Rugby League. So that was just for about one or two years that I had all of them going at once. And that was pretty tricky. I imagine you needed a a pretty good time management skills going on there. The hard thing about sports nutrition sometimes is that you're only giving such small amount of hours and budgets at some of those sports that you really do have to be impactful in those small amount of hours that you've got. And Simone, do you find that a lot of dietitians work that way, that they maybe work, have several roles that they're doing simultaneously rather than just one full-time position? I think if you go into the more the clinical role, you'll often have a full-time position at a hospital or a part-time one at a hospital and maybe one other place, like some private practice. But in the area of sports nutrition, certainly it's been a history of that people will work in sports nutrition, but also in another area of dietetics, not necessarily just all through teams. So you might do private practice for general um, health, you might do health and wellbeing talks. But yeah, I think in the area of sports nutrition, a lot do different jobs at one time. So what have been the most rewarding parts of your career and working with sports people? Yeah, I think, Leah, I do like the balance of working with a range of athletes, not just all elite. So I, I look, obviously, Hawthorne winning three grand finals in a row was pretty great. Yeah. Um, and you enjoyed that as well. <laughs> but, I <certainly> did. <laughs> but I also... Um, really enjoyed working at that under 18 level of AFL, which for people who don't know, that is a real um, stepping stone or career for not just the athletes to get drafted, but also for lots of the staff working in that system who are then maybe moving on to a VFL or AFL role. That's a very supportive um, system. And I worked at the Calder Cannons who were at that time extremely successful with premierships as well. But the part I like is seeing a player from a junior or just coming into the system And then you see them mature along the way and get a game and really embrace nutrition as they mature. That's that's a pretty good part of um, sport. Yeah, and particularly when they go on to win a grand final. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But also um, uh, one story, if I can just tell a quick story, is I had a, a young player. We often do cooking sessions with them and some of them have good skills if they've cooked at home, but some of them have no cooking skills at all. And one player was you know struggling to cut carrots let alone cook but after a few cooking sessions he came to me one day and said Simone I had my parents down from the country and um, they came to visit and I cooked for them and I made homemade gnocchi that he'd seen someone cook on MasterChef and I'm like that's pretty impressive I buy my gnocchi in a packet and he was making from can't cook carrots to homemade gnocchi and I felt 
he's now grasped a lifelong skill, not just a skill for his footy career. Definitely, definitely. And just going back to the what you were saying before about working more in sort of under 18 or that amateur level, I guess my experience talking to people who are involved in elite clubs is that often they do have to do a lot of the hard yards, even as a volunteer. So I was just wondering, you know, was that paid work or were you actually volunteering your time in order to take those steps? Yeah. So when I first started, um, it was Sandringham Dragons and I had another dietitian mentoring me, but we still got an honorarium. So it's a small amount of pay, so it wasn't costing you. And I think, actually, Leah, that's really important. Most clubs have got enough to give you something. Once you've done five years of study, I don't think you should be getting absolutely nothing. I think there should be a small amount of payment and then it could be even if they don't have cash to do could they pay for you to do a course that is going to further help them and you? And in dietetics, that could be an anthropometry course on how to take body composition. Yeah, I I think you should be getting something. So I've always had a small amount and then it's built up, obviously, into more of my my job. Yeah. That's good to hear because I've, I've heard stories of people, you know, putting in a tremendous amount of hours for nothing and you know I think that's you know it is after all that study it is a real shame that they feel that they have to do that. And I think as health professionals we need to learn to advocate for that better. We're usually givers um, and we're not so good at advocating so if you can get some assistance from business people or other people who can help you write it if you don't feel comfortable talking about it or I suggest to people I mentor Think about what you would like to earn or you think you should get. Work out then what they would like you to do and work out an hourly rate and then say to them, well, this is what I can do for this much. And most people are quite happy with that. They're not wanting to make you do nothing. Um, It's a give and take between you getting experience but you also realising that you've come out as a health professional. Yeah, great advice. That is really good advice. And I know working with elite athletes, it sounds very glamorous, but there are some challenges. Are you able to give us a bit of an inside view to some of the, you know, the more challenging parts of working with sports people? Yeah. Um, I think you've got to have a fairly thick skin because there's a lot of up and downs. So from winning from one week to the next, it could be a player not being selected and they're attention to what I think is most important being nutrition is not necessarily highest on their agenda and it can go through times where they are keen and then things fall in a heap for them and you've got to somehow motivate them to keep on nutrition so they can be quite critical Um, they want to blame other people as someone said to me once it's not about if you'll go from sport it's about when so things can change really quickly coach being there one day not the next other staff there not the next so I think you've got to have a contingency plan for if you're not there make sure you do show people what your worth is and three don't take things too personal when athletes are grumpy um, I've certainly had a couple of athletes be grumpy but I've also been prepared to not at the time when they're grumpy but the next time I see them if they've been in, inappropriate to me pull them up on it And I think you've got to have some guts to say that. And I've said to some quite high-profile ones, Mm -hmm. when you came in last time, it wasn't okay how you were. And usually they'll be like, oh, like, really sorry? And I think it's important that you learn to stand up for yourself as well. 
Yes, and that is often difficult for the helpers among us, isn't it? We're, we're often a little bit, yeah. we avoid confrontation and conflict, often the people that like to help yeah. people. So that's something you've got to learn to have those difficult conversations. And I think it's about picking the time. So in a sport saying very much it's read the play, you don't, if they've snapped at you after a game, that isn't the time to pull them up on it because they've, they've got a lot of adrenaline going through the system. Mm. So it's about finding a time where they're not with other peers, that you're not making it a confrontational situation and just having a chat about it. And I found that's always gone well. And I know you also do quite a bit of work with Swiss Wellness as an ambassador and a speaker. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that's my one job when I'm an employee. Um, so I have worked there for 12 years as well, uh, part-time. Generally, I've gone from it being a business of probably 30 people to now being a, a global international business. So my job's changed, but what I really love at the moment is I basically do health writing. Because as a health professional, you're not allowed to advertise any pharmaceutical-type products, which suits me fine. Food first is my approach, supplements if you need them. So I write about health. We just did some exciting filming um, about nutrition tips, so that's lovely when I get to do that. I've got to do some cooking sessions with um, famous chefs like George Calabaris where he gets to teach people how to cook and I get to tell people about the nutrition in the food, so that's really good fun. But otherwise, Leah, what I've learned is I learn about business and no matter where we're working, we have a message to sell and a product to sell. And as a dietitian, our product might be the nutrition science, but it's how do you market that, how do you create that, and how do I write that in a way that's going to get to people. And that's been the biggest thing I've learned from working at Swiss is improving my writing skills and my communication skills in a business-type manner. I also think, Simone, like you're a great example of someone who has you know, as a dietitian, you're not just, you know, working with clients one-on-one. You have, you know, brought a lot of other aspects into your role, like the writing, the speaking, and you've also published a book last year, which is amazing. So congratulations. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, and I think Swiss has helped that. I think because writing in English was not my forte, I could write science reports and journals, but that's very different to writing a book that someone's going to read. And how I came about writing that, actually, the ex-CEO that was at Swiss, I um, used him, Radic Sally, as a bit of a mentor. And I spoke to him about that I wasn't sure which way I wanted to take my career. And he said, well, what do you love? And I said, I like presenting. I like the public speaking. That gives me energy. And he said, you need to write a book. And I said, a book? Oh, I'm not that good at writing. And he said, well, that's what you need to do. So I left his office and I went to a seminar on how to write a book, got a book coach, and basically um, I started writing it bit by bit. And then got a, um, what I didn't do is I didn't listen to when someone said, I think you need to write it with a sports focus. Thought, no, I'm just going to write it for general women and um, try and cut away that diet culture. And then when I went to the publisher, they said your specialty is in sport. So I should have listened. Um, So I sort of had to rewrite it and then, the publisher, Hardy Grant, got it on the shelves, but it was a lot of work and a lot of editing uh, because obviously I need to make sure the science is correct so you can't handball it for somebody else to write. Um, but I really learned a lot about my writing and it's obviously the biggest thing I've ever written um, and it's been great for my presenting. So it has helped me do more of my presenting for sure. And so how long do you think it took from, you know, when you, did, when you had that meeting with Radic right through to when the book was published? Yep. 
was that? Two years. Two years. Two years. Yeah. Because I was doing it in between all my other work. And so I would, and you can't sort of go, I've got 15 minutes spare, I'm going to write. You needed to block out chunks of time. But the book coach helped me break it up into my chapters and get my topics. And then I could just pick a topic that I felt like writing about at the time and write that. So I wrote it in bits and then basically put it together. And so, yeah, that that process took two years. So when the book was out, I was nearly over it. Yeah, I bet. But that is so interesting. I, I, I guess I've always assumed that you would just work through it, like chapter one, you know, and subsequent chapters yeah. after that. And that is a really interesting approach that just what you felt like writing about at the time. I can see and how that, that was, would work. And it did because some bits were very technical. So if you felt like you were in a technical and you were really fresh, you could write that. Other parts of my book are very practical, like, you know, what to put in the pantry or the supermarket. So when you were feeling a little bit less creative, less um, technical, I could write more of those creative different types of pieces and then just move it around. And that was by listening to the book coach. So sometimes you have to get help from other people. And that's, yeah, I didn't even know that you'd worked with a book coach. So that's really interesting as well. Now, Simone, I get this question a lot and I would love to get your perspective on it. So when I work with a lot of clients, often a question that comes up is what is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? And I'm sure you have always also been asked this a hundred times. Yes, yes. Are you able to give us an understanding of the difference in qualifications and the difference in work? I thought you might ask me this. So I went onto the Dietitians Association of Australia website and looked up their explanation. So they do have one on there. But basically a nutritionist is not a regulated term. So a dietitian can use that, so I can use that terminology if I want to, but so could anyone else. So someone could have done a six-week online course and call themselves a nutritionist. So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with using that, but you want to check that they're also a dietitian or at least have done a Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition. So someone who's done that, Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition, they will maybe work for, they could work for food companies, they might work in public health, they might write for someone. um, But the difference is the dietitian then has the part on from that, which is working in the medical type field and they can see individual clients for medical conditions. So you can work in the hospital, you can do private practice, have a Medicare number and have a um, health provider number. So the nutritionist doesn't do that next step onto individuals for medical reasons. Right. Does that answer it? It does. But there are nutritionists that do work in hospitals as well. Is that more around menu? Uh, They might have. They could have. Um, They could be a dietitian wanting to call themselves a nutritionist. They could also be nutrition educators. So say they might be working alongside the dietitian with a group of people with diabetes or for heart health education, but most people working in the hospital will have a dietetic qualification. But they could be working in research and be nutritionists. Um, so a lot of people in that would, but they wouldn't be seeing the clients on the ward writing the medical notes type thing. Right. That has to be a dietitian. But both do work in private practice. Yes, but again, ones who, if you see a nutritionist who isn't a dietitian, they won't be allowed to claim, they won't have a Medicare provider number for you to claim back and you won't be able to claim back from your health insurance. Okay. So just, just maybe check what you're looking for as to what qualification you need. Great. And in terms of the industry and the challenges facing your industry at the moment, I mean, would you say that this is a competitive field, particularly for new graduates coming out of university? 
certainly is in terms of um, Leah. When I start, when I did my degree, yeah, as you say, back in the nineties, um, in Victoria, for instance, there was one dietetic course. Um, mm-hmm. I did my science degree at Monash and then went to Deakin. Twenty-five of us basically would graduate for the year. Now, dietetics is quite a profitable uh, course for universities, so they run them. And if they qualify, the Dietetic Association of Australia has to credit them to run the course. So there's about four or five just within Victoria now. But in saying that, I think there's a lot more areas we can work in. So food industry are employing a lot more dietitians to help with creating products. And that's fantastic. We can influence the food supply from the inside. Uh, Food technology areas, research areas, sport employ a lot more than they used to. Definitely, I'm only part-time at Hawthorne, but some of the dietitians working in sporting clubs are full-time now. All the women's sport areas at elite level that have got dietitians. The ability to do things online um, that we didn't have before, the presenting, the social media work. Some dietitians make their full-time job out of that. Government work. Yes, there is more competitive, but there's a lot more areas we can work in. Okay, that is great to hear. And I know that you are very passionate about helping dietetic students find their pathway and progress their career. In fact, you and I were going to do a workshop next week, which unfortunately we've had to postpone to later in the year. What advice do you have for students who are studying dietetics at the moment in terms of improving their chances of getting their dream role after they finish their study? Number one is don't have your dream role just necessarily in concrete. Be a little bit open. But my first thing is have a knowledge about food. I have students, and there's quite a few students recently, that I'm surprised at the lack of knowledge of food. If you don't understand a little bit about cooking, what's in food, where you buy it, what's in the supermarket, how can you translate the nutrition science into food? Because people eat food, so you have to. So cook. Maybe get a job in um, catering because lots of catering companies employ dietitians now or a fruit shop or a food shop or something like that. My other bit is practice your skills in just chatting to people because if you're working in private practice or um, you're presenting, you have to be skilled in being able to develop rapport with people very quickly. And if you can't, dietetics is all about you delivering your message so it's crucial. You're not massaging someone. Um, you have to get a rapport and some trust with a client. So practice doing that, particularly if you're more on the introverted side. If, you're, if you know there's an area of dietetics you're keen on, you can usually join as a student. So, for instance, Sports Dietitians Australia, we have a student group. I know the food industry group do. Go along. Start meeting people. Make connections. Uh, get your name out there. See if it is the area for you. And I know students will email me all the time, can I help, can I help? Human nature is I'll be choosing the ones I've met because I've got a connection with them. So to start making the connections and also just improve your knowledge and try and get some part-time work in areas that are related to dietetics because I know when you're applying for your master's, that helps. Yeah, that's great advice. I'd never actually thought about, you know, working in catering or a food shop, but that is really good advice. You know, I talk to a lot of health and dietetics students also about using LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a great forum to build a profile in the industry and, you know, a fantastic way of actually writing some articles and building a personal brand. Are you a believer in LinkedIn as well? 
Absolutely, absolutely, because you can even just commenting on a few people's articles. So pick some people that you um, think might be ones that you want to link with and maybe you make some comments to their articles. Maybe you, as you said, write some yourself, but if you don't feel yet confident of that, you can start off by just doing some comments, reading what they write about, also collecting which ones you like and why you like them. And so starting to develop what your style might be, and you can do that by LinkedIn, you can do that on social media, lots of dietitians on social media as well. So starting your own little bit um, on that, connecting yourself with other people, finding what, what people you have the same type of philosophy about. Also in dietetics, stay positive. Remember that people are allowed to have a different opinion or a different style to you and there's not necessarily wrongs or rights. Not everyone has to like everything everyone does. So yeah. just connect. Really good advice. I, I love, I love uh, what you're saying about, you know, writing articles, practicing your dietetic coaching skills with friends because I think it's all about yeah. experimenting and yes. giving you a sense of well what areas will you act will use your natural strengths and will come yeah. naturally to you. Because you know if you are someone who finds it difficult to build relationships and build rapport, then you might be better suited to working in a behind the scenes role that uses your yeah. your knowledge and your experience. That's true. However, to pass your course, there's still, and I can't see it changing really quickly, there is still a heavy um, uh, marking component on your clinical. Um, and even though I knew I didn't want to be clinical, and that also involves you being able to relate to mm. and, and take diet histories and do all of that. So as much as further down the track you might choose to do that, and you can, to actually pass your course, you're going to have to make sure you can develop some rapport with people, and that's just how it is. It's um, definitely you need to get through the course, but I guess long term it helps you. Absolutely, you know where your you know the pathway that suits you best. And I just know research is so not me, but other people love it and thrive on it. And I think you can by um, when you read articles on LinkedIn or you read what people are doing. I've learned to take note of what excites me. See what excites you because that will help you. Because it's not that easy to say I like this area, that area. You sometimes it's confusing. So jot down which um, types of areas you find yourself naturally gravitating to. That's right. I'm a big believer in, you know, thinking about what type of, what energises you and what are you actually naturally Mm. interested in. You know, if you go into a bookshop, what books in the health area do you tend to pick up? What chapters do you go and read first? Likewise, you know, what does come naturally to you? Is it talking to people? Is it research? Is it organising programs? You know, there yes. by doing all these little experiments, Definitely. you get to test and try these things out and validate them. Yeah, do you love cooking? Yeah, the, the food industry or working with caterers or develop your own um, food. There's a few dietitians quite successful at the moment who have developed their own food products around gut health. So lots of areas you could explore. That's great, Simone. Look, thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and I think it's given our listeners a huge amount of knowledge and particularly for people who are interested in a dietetics career. Uh, So, look, good luck for the future. This year is going to be an interesting one. I believe you'll be doing a lot of your sessions with your athletes via Zoom or video, which is going to um, require us all to get a little bit creative. So, Good luck with that. Thanks, Leah. Good luck, everyone. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Relaunch Your Career. If you did, please subscribe, share with your friends, leave a review or connect with us on social media at Relaunch Me Career Consulting. If you have any questions about the episode or the work that we do, then contact us via the website relaunchme.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.